All right, Matthew chapter 6. Uh, you know if you've been around uh, any length of time, if you're new, you're about to find out. We are walking through the Sermon on the Mount, which is a sermon that Jesus gave. It's located Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and just kind of working our way through uh, this sermon that Jesus gave. And uh, I've, I think every Sunday that we have preached on the Sermon on the Mount, I've done this in some form or fashion in the introduction, and I'm probably not going to let up until we're done. Just reminding us who Jesus is talking to, that he is not preaching to the masses necessarily in this sermon. He is preaching to disciples, uh, which for us functionally means Jesus is talking to Christians about what it means to live your life as a Christian. Now, the reason that I am belaboring this every week is because it's a very dangerous thing in the Bible Belt to assume people know what Jesus is talking about. Because it's a dangerous thing. This is, this is how it's dangerous. Uh, because if somebody walks in and like, you know what, I'm curious about Jesus, about the Bible, about Christianity, about church, and you walk into a sermon where Jesus is giving us some things to do, the, the, the danger is in thinking if we do those things, we will be okay or we will be Christians. And so I don't ever want to assume that we're very clear on what gets us into the family, what gets us into the kingdom, because we don't act our way into the kingdom. We believe our way into the kingdom. It's faith that in Christ that makes you a Christian. And so it's a dangerous thing when you come in and hear like, this is what a Christian does, this is how a Christian acts, this is how a Christian prays, and it's possible to learn to do those things, but never be deeply transformed in your heart and become a Christian. So I want to say that out of the gate every week, this is what it means to be a Christian, to recognize your sin, your brokenness, your need for forgiveness, for grace, for salvation, for transformation, and to put your faith for that salvation or that change in Jesus. Sometimes that means moving it from you're trusting in another uh, religious leader to putting that trust in Jesus. Most of the time, it means shifting that from your own works and your own self, trusting that we can fix ourselves, pushing our trust and faith into Christ that He will forgive us, He will redeem us. He will transform us because he died in our place for our sins. That, when you repent of your sin, put your faith in Jesus, he forgives, he transforms, he brings you into the family, and then does the Sermon on the Mount apply to us? As we already belong to Jesus, he is teaching us what it means to be like him. And it's just, it's, a, it's important. I think I, I love uh, what the, the British preacher uh, George Whitfield had to say. He was talking with someone that basically was trying to build this idea that they could do enough good things and act like a Christian well enough to become a Christian. Uh, and he said, you might as well climb uh, to the moon on a rope of sand as get your way into heaven by good works. So grace, the grace of Christ and forgiveness gets us in and then Jesus teaches us what that means. And in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, um, Jesus is finishing um, the third of three different topics uh, that, that, that really is kind of the, the pillar of, of first century Judaism. Uh, 
So if you were a first century Jew that loved God, had been reading the Old Testament, had been looking forward to the Messiah, there were three big uh, rhythms in your life at least, probably more, but Jesus talks about three. He talks about giving, he talks about praying, and now he's going to today talk about fasting. And what he's not going to do is take those things and remove them. He's not going to say, okay, now that full-blown Christianity is here with Christ, don't give anymore, don't pray anymore, don't fast anymore. Instead, he corrects all three of those. Uh, He says, okay, giving, now this is the way that we do it, praying, this is the way that we do it, and then today, fasting, this is the way that we do it. I want to recap uh, giving and praying just for a moment because some of you maybe were traveling or you were new. Uh, but if you rewind in your Bible just a few verses, uh, Jesus says, uh, when you give. So he assumes that these uh, Jewish people were already giving consistently of their money. And he says, when you give, don't do it externally to be seen, but instead do it out of love for God and others. And then he will say, when you pray, don't pray like some of the Pharisees who just love to stand on the street corners and pray very, very high, lofty, long, complicated prayers so that people think they're awesome. But instead, go into your closet, close the door, pray to your Father. And then he talks about fasting. He says, when you fast, don't do it to be seen, but do it for your Father. Fast. So fasting is, uh, is the topic for this morning. And I don't know why, but I, I, f- I feel like in just kind of living in the West, and especially in Texas and talking to a lot of people over the years, uh, it just seems like fasting uh, w- with American Christians is kind of like a lost art. Uh, we don't talk about it much. Some people don't practice it much. It's kind of like the Cowboys in the Super Bowl. It just doesn't happen a whole lot, and nobody knows why. Sorry, Reuben. And, but, but, but Jesus talks about it, and uh, as we're committed to just preaching the Word of God, especially through the Sermon on the Mount, not missing any things, then we look at fasting and see what Jesus has to say about fasting. Uh, the problem with Jesus preaching about fasting in Matthew 6 is that he's preaching to people that already knew about it, they already knew how to do it, they already knew much of the importance of it, and so he doesn't go into a lot of depth to explain kind of the, the technicalities of what fasting is because they knew. So uh, I'll back up a little bit, uh, and we'll give a little bit of just fasting 101, um, because there's a really good chance many, many people in the room have never fasted, at least in the spiritual sense. Maybe you're like, I'm, I'm into intermittent fasting. It's awesome. I've lost 10 pounds. That's great. That's not what we're talking about here. Like a spiritual fast. So it's fasting 101, real quick, get ready, write this down. Basically, it means you don't eat for a period of time and you focus your heart on God. Simple, right? You take a period of time where you set aside a very strong and basic human need like eating and you then divert that time and attention to realizing you actually have a a deeper and a stronger need than even food itself. You have a need for God. That's the, the basis of fasting. Uh, If you look throughout the Bible, both Old and New Testament, you see two basic types of fasting. There's corporate fasting uh, and there's individual fasting. Uh, There's corporate fasting where uh, large groups or maybe even the entire nation of Israel or local churches will fast together. Uh, And then there's many times where just individual Christians will fast separately. Uh, Corporate fasts in the Old New Testament, you see them show up uh, in a handful of different ways. Uh, Sometimes they're around national celebrations where 
they will celebrate and they will come together and the whole nation or the whole city might fast. Uh, oftentimes it's around uh, days of remembrance. Uh, the Day of Atonement, most of the time, the entire nation would set aside some time collectively to corporately fast uh, together. Uh, oftentimes, if there was a national crisis uh, or if there was some type of a, a famine going on, uh, one of the priests would call a corporate fast and all of God's people would come together and fast, begging God to, uh, to fix the calamity or to send rain or whatever it might be. Uh, and then in the Acts chapter 13, uh, there was a really uh, big decision laid before um, the apostles and, and the church fasted together seeking God's uh, direction and wisdom on certain things. So like, there, there's a way in which God's people fast together in corporate fasting. But then also you see there's a lot of instances of individual fasting. One person, whether it's because um, they, they, they have a decision they need to make and are seeking wisdom, or maybe they know they're going to be tested in the future and so they want to uh, really bolster their strength, they will take some time to fast individually. Uh, you see Jesus doing this uh, for 40 days, going by himself into the wilderness to fast. When Jesus is talking... In Matthew 6, a lot of the Jewish people would be fasting two times a week individually. That was just part of their rhythm. And what you find out is really that's all it was. It was part of their rhythm. There wasn't really the, the deep spiritual purpose for fasting that Jesus is actually going to correct. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. If you are there, I need your help this morning. Say ready. All right, here's what Jesus says. In my Bible and yours, it's in the red letters. So Christ says this, and when you fast. He's done this three times in a row. He doesn't say, if you give. Listen, if you're a Christian, you should be generous, you should give. He doesn't say if, he says when. He says when you pray, right? If you're a Christian, it shouldn't be a, an if, it should be a when. And he's talking again, right? Two disciples, two Christians, that's what it means when he says you, and when you fast, okay? Some of you, again, maybe you're like, I've never fasted. What a great week to start because it seems like Jesus expects his disciples to fast. This should be part of our, our, our spiritual disciplines, part of, uh, part of what is woven into our natural rhythms in life, whether it's weekly, monthly, yearly, doesn't really matter. Just like think about, as a Christian, incorporating it into your life. And when you fast, do not, he starts all the time, all three of these occasions, he starts with the do not. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. So there was a type of person in Jesus' day that would fast and they would very purposefully and visibly try and look really horrible, uh, do some things visibly so everybody knew, oh gosh, there's, there's Jason. Jason's fasting. What a holy, awesome person. He says, don't do that. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Like there's people that would literally go a day or two or three or four without eating and sink their face in and not take a shower and not brush their teeth and just walk around hoping people would notice them and think they're godly. Write this down. Jesus says, don't do that. Truly I say to you, they receive their reward. God didn't listen. God didn't hear. God didn't move. They got what they wanted. They got some attention. Verse 17. But when you... So he correct. He doesn't just throw it out the window... He says, don't do it externally. It, it's the internal that matters. 
And if you look back at giving, at praying, at fasting, what Jesus is correcting is, is he is taking things and say, be careful that you don't do things for just an external purpose. Make sure it's internal. Be sure that you're not doing things just religiously in the negative sense of the term religion. Do them out of a relationship with God. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, probably just like they would every morning, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So he starts off talking about a way in which we can fast for all the wrong reasons, and Jesus doesn't listen to it. And that's not a new idea. Uh, Jesus talks about hypocritical fasting in Matthew 6, but the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Christ, uh, would talk about hypocritical fasting as well. This is not on the screen, but I want you to listen to this. Uh, This is from Isaiah chapter 58. There was a corporate fast apparently going on where um, kind of, quote unquote, God's people who really didn't have a heart for God, they just wanted to use him as a, a vending machine where they could kind of turn on their corporate fast and get what they wanted from him without any regard for loving him or obeying him or being like him. They say, this. They're like, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? They're like, what is going on? We've gone days and days without food and you're not giving us what we want. And then God answers in Isaiah. He says, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. You oppress your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. This was spring break for many of you in the room. Uh, Hatches were traveling a little bit. And um, we were in Junction, Texas for a few days and had the kids all in the back of the truck. And uh, I don't know if, if you have kids, I don't know if your kids do this, but uh, when my kids want something, oftentimes they will, they will huddle, and I know when the huddle happens, I know what's coming. They are literally coming up with a chant. They're like, we got to get all the words right, we got to get on the same page, because if we collectively join our voices and chant together, we will get dad's attention and move, dad, move dad's heart. So we had talked about something and they had agreed they wanted it. And so they're in the back kind of, oh, here it comes. I know that here comes the huddle. They're huddling and then here comes the chant. Dairy queen, dairy queen. And you know you're from Texas if your kids are chanting dairy queen in the back, right? Now that, like, this is the stupidest analogy ever, but if you, if you give me some grace, it might work. Let's say that's like a corporate fast, okay? Old Testament, and all of that to to a father's ears, like like it depends on on the hearts of the kids, right? Because if they're chanting and they've loved each other and they've been kind, I'm like, you can have two blizzards apiece. But if they've been bickering and fighting and been impatient, unloving and unkind, and all of a sudden they get together to chant Dairy Queen, I'm like, I don't care. You don't need Dairy Queen. You need to love each other. That's what he's saying. Like the, the, the heart of the fast is what matters. It's not just going for a period without food. He's like, listen, I didn't listen to you because when you were fasting, you were, you were, you were seeking your own pleasure. You were oppressing your workers. Um, you were quarreling. You were fighting. You were hitting with a wicked fist. I didn't listen to you. But then he says this in verse 6, Isaiah 58. Is not this the fast that I chose? 
to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when they see you naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? What what Isaiah was talking about and what Jesus is talking about is there is a way to fast that is just an external thing that has no ramifications on what's taking place truly in our hearts. Jesus condemns that, but then he teaches us, he says, don't fast like that. But when you fast, but when you fast, he assumes Christians will fast. I've thought a lot this week about why it is that uh, probably many of us as as Americans, Westerners, Texans, I'm not sure what it is, but maybe we struggle to do this because uh, we just kind of live in the land of plenty. Uh, and I think, and I'm lumping myself in here, like we be, it becomes very difficult for us to have the discipline of self-denial because it is so easy to have everything at our fingertips uh, tips that this just becomes... Fasting becomes a thing that is just easily disregarded because it's a very difficult discipline. Uh, we had a, a church fast that we called, uh, I think it was last uh, January, and we had a lot of people that had never fasted before uh, fast, and I had a handful of them tell me, listen, after six hours, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> it's like, because we're just not good at it. We just rarely go 30 minutes without eating. So it's just difficult, and yet it's expected. Jesus says, when you fast. And I want to turn to Matthew chapter 9. This is probably one or two pages over uh, in your Bible. Because Jesus in Matthew 9 is talking about fasting. Uh, and I think uh, Matthew 9, it's the key for a New Testament post-resurrection Christian understanding the role fasting should play in our lives. Because it's different from the Old Testament. It's even different from the disciples. And uh, I, I, I agree with Richard Foster. Richard Foster is the one that said uh, he wrote a book on spiritual disciplines. Uh, and he makes the claim that Matthew chapter 9 is the key, the most important text for Christians understanding uh, what fasting means for us. Matthew chapter 9, verses uh, 14 and 15. Okay, there's two players that you need to know about. One is Jesus, and hopefully you know about him. Uh, and then the other one is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was uh, Jesus' cousin, but he was also uh, a very prolific preacher, and he was preaching before even people knew who Christ was. John the Baptist was preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and people were coming in droves um, to respond to the message of John, to be his disciple, to be his follower. And then at a point, John realizes who Jesus is, like, oh my gosh, he is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ we've been looking for. And so John is trying to shift his disciples over to follow Jesus, not just John. That's what's taking place in the background. And then the disciples of John. So they, they, they loved the Bible. They were trying to obey it. They believed in the coming Messiah. And now they're beginning to realize that Jesus is him. And so they're wondering, they're trying to learn about Jesus' disciples. So the disciples of John came to him, came to Jesus, saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast? Okay, so John's disciples are like, we fast maybe two days a week. 
and the Pharisees, they were a very externally religious group. They were fasting probably two days a week. Like, something is strange because we fast, the Pharisees fast, and then he says, but your disciples, the, the 12 plus that were following Jesus, they do not fast. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? And here's a very important sentence verse for understanding fasting for us. The days will come when the bridegroom, that's Jesus, is taken away from them. Meaning, he is physically present with his disciples. Jesus is saying, the day is coming, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise, I'm going to ascend. I'm not going to physically be with the disciples anymore. That day is coming. And what will happen on that day? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. I told Jonathan between services just a few minutes ago that I feel like, I know there's a key for us understanding what real Christian fasting should look like in that verse, but I can't like fully grasp the depth of it. I feel like I've got an, uh, uh, what, uh, a metal detector, you know? I, my son's got a metal detector, and we fill around with it every now and then. And I feel like I've got this metal detector, and it's going off, and I know there's something there, but I haven't, I haven't mined everything out yet. Like, my metal detector is going off that there's something incredibly profound that Jesus just said that is the key to us understanding fasting. And I know a little bit, but I feel like there's something I just haven't grasped yet. Jesus just said, they don't fast because I'm here, right? It's like the bridegroom is here. Why on earth would they fast if fasting is basically setting aside food and longing for Christ? They don't need to long for Christ because they have breakfast with him. Like they don't need to fast and long for Christ because they hang out with him every day. That's why they didn't fast and John's disciples did. But Jesus says, listen, I'm not going to be here physically, bodily, in the same way after death, resurrection, ascension. And when that happens, when I am gone, they will fast. Like, and, and, and that's part of the key, I, I think. It's like, well, Jesus said, well, they don't need to fast because I'm here, and when I'm gone, they will fast. So what's, what's fasting all about? Jesus. Like, it's not about food at all. It's about setting aside food and, and saying no to food so that you can feast on Christ and lean into him and long for him. If you've ever fasted for hours, for, for days, all of a sudden you have a deep, deep hunger that is like crying out to be satisfied. When we fast, it's not just about ceasing to do something because you have to replace that with something else. Have you ever tried to just stop doing something? You, just, you can't just stop doing something. You have to actually start doing something else. You can't just stop sinning. If you spend all of your time thinking about not sinning, what are you going to do? You're going to sin because that's all you're thinking about is all the things not to do. You have to replace it with uh, trying to do something. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor, author, theologian, he said this, and I th he, he applies it to Christianity. I think it applies perfectly to fasting. Being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin 
than it is about courageously and actively doing God's will. Sometimes we kind of boil Christianity down to don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. That's not a good way to live your life. Does it involve that? Yes. But when Jesus summed up the great commands, he didn't say, and this is the greatest command of all, try real hard not to sin. No, it's not an, an avoidance that he talks about. He's like, no, to love the Lord your God with all, like to aggressively seek to love. So fasting, it's not about just spending all of your time and energy not eating. I've shared this story before, but the first time I ever fasted, I was in my late 20s. I don't know why we grew up and I didn't really practice it, but started reading and found it kind of all over the scriptures and thought, I should probably fast. And three days in, I'm like, this isn't really doing anything, and realized all of my energy was going towards not eating. I hadn't read, I hadn't prayed, I hadn't replaced it with really trying to pursue and cultivate a hunger for Christ. And so this is why I feel that like there, there was something between services I just could not grasp, but I know that it's there. Jesus was saying, okay, maybe he was looking at the 12 when he said this. It's like, they don't fast because I'm here. I'm leaving, and then they will fast. What did it look like one or two years later when Jesus is gone and those 12 were fasting? Because whatever that is, that's what it should look like in your life. And, I, and my guess is that it had a, a little to do with food and a lot to do with longing for Jesus. As a, as a person, like, like we can easily long for the benefits and for the blessings and for the, the answers that Jesus, like, but to, to long for him as a person, I would assume a year or two later when, when Peter decides, you know what, I'm going to fast this week. I bet it had a lot to do with him thinking, I want Jesus to come back. It was so good when he was here. I, I got to see the, the love in his eyes towards, towards sinners. I got to witness his compassion. I got to hear this unbelievably profound truth from him. Like, like I, I came alive in his presence and I saw glimmers of the kingdom. Like That's probably what his fasting was about. It was about longing for Christ. Why is it so hard for us to fast? Because I think it's hard for us to truly long for Christ and to long for the kingdom because we get real comfortable in this kingdom. We get real comfortable with having our, our next meal. We get real comfortable with having insurance and having needs met and having good relationships and all of those things are good we have, these, we have deep longings. The human heart was made with deep longings for, to belong, for intimacy. We have a deep longing for relationship. And all of those things ultimately were designed in us to be met fully in Christ. But we can kind of satisfy them a little bit here and there so that we forget how much we actually should long for and need Jesus. C.S. Lewis said this. He, he says, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can truly deeply satisfy, the only logical explanation is I was made for another world. And I think fasting is a tool to teach us that. Like we fast, you take a season, you set aside food, and you're reminding, I, have, I, I belong to a deeper and a better kingdom. 
And when you fast, you long for Christ himself, for, for, for him, for his presence, for his, for his, for his power. Like, that's got to be what the disciples fasted about. Jesus. Jesus says, when you fast, and let, go, go back to chapter 6. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. How does God reward someone who's truly fasting? If our fasting is seeking Christ, he rewards us with Christ. Like, that's, that's the treasure. It's not the blessings. Those are incredible. Those are secondary. John Piper is a pastor. Many of you know him, an author. Uh, he wrote, has written a fair bit over the years on fasting, and he wrote something I think that's uh, very helpful, very practical. Uh, he's talking about when you truly take some time to fast to cultivate a hunger for Christ, so two, two different things can happen, uh, and that he, he calls them a positive and a negative. I don't have a better way to phrase that, but uh, he says both the positive and the negative thing that happen are good or are, are positive, has, have a positive effect on us. The first thing, let's say, okay, uh, I, I'm a Christian, I'm a disciple, I'm in, Jesus expects us to fast, I want to do this the right way, this is what you can expect, a good and a bad that are both positive. He says the first positive is you have this just declaration with your actions and in your heart, you're teaching yourself to long for and hunger for Christ even more than you long for food. And that can be a good teaching element, a good tool for us to constantly remind ourselves like we're, we're members of a better kingdom. Like this isn't it. This isn't heaven. This isn't what we're longing for. Sometimes we get a little too comfortable here and we quit longing for heaven because we get the two confused and we can fast and remind ourselves that there's a better kingdom coming, that we're aliens, we're strangers, we're sojourners here, we're, we're, we're citizens there, long for. But then he says um, that the negative thing that happens, which is actually good, is that fasting oftentimes exposes latent idolatry and sin. Idolatry and sin that have been around, they've been hanging out the bottom of our heart. We just didn't see them, recognize them, feel them because we constantly medicate them with food. Listen to what Piper says. I think it is spot on. He says, when I am not being medicated by food, a.k.a. when he's fasting, what comes out of my heart? Anger. The only thing I would add is hanger. Lust. The need for constant television and constant entertainment. He says, you go 24 hours without food and oh my word, what is exposed? It's a good discipline of positive and negative. People need to know what's at the bottom. You fast, some things are going to come up, and it's not like they're brand new. They've been down in there. They've just been hidden over by just a constant medication of food. And so we realize some sins that not only are they there and lurking, but at some point they're going to cause some damage somewhere. And part of fasting is not just to push our, our longing into Christ and the kingdom, but for us to be aware of the, the things that we need to confess and, and repent of. I think that's incredibly helpful to think about fasting in that way. I want to do something I don't normally do because normally I try to like bring all this in and tie a big bow on it. And uh, I, I want to spend the, the last few minutes that we have 
um, praying that, that the Holy Spirit would do that um, because so many people in this room are coming from such different backgrounds. You've had great weeks. You've had horrible weeks. You fasted before. You've never fasted before. And I think if we're honest, maybe a lot of us coming like, I don't really long for Christ that much. I mean, I don't like suffering, and I don't like hurt and pain, but I don't, like, we don't long for Jesus. And, and, so, and so maybe God wants us to put this in our tool belt as a tool to teach our hearts to long for Christ. So that's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would, would take these few verses that Jesus gave us and would apply them to our hearts wherever He sees fit. Our Father in heaven, thank You for a chance to pray because Jesus has opened up a way. He has torn the veil. He has given us unfettered access to the ear of the Father. And I want to be the first to confess that some days my heart is not longing for You. Many days the distractions of the world and the family and the job and all these other things just kind of take over the attention of our hearts. God, I pray that You might help fasting be a tool to remind us of what has always been true, that we need You. More than food, we need You. More than water, we need You. If we drink, we're going to be thirsty again. If we eat, we're going to be hungry in an hour or two. But those who feast on Christ will be fully and forever satisfied. God, teach us to long for You. God, as the disciples must have fasted weeks after Your departure, longing to see You, to smell You, to touch You and to hear You and to know You. God, may You give us a longing of faith. God, remind us that fasting is a temporary thing. There is no fasting in heaven because, Christ, You are there. There's only joy. There's only feasting. Jesus, we love You. Holy Spirit, I pray that You might shepherd each soul in this room. Meet us in whatever place that we need You. And would You draw our hearts and our minds towards Christ. We love You, Christ, and all of God's people said. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.